0: I think that what you said goes a lot along with one of my big um, life realizations on the trail, which was I always realized like people are in either when they're on the trail, they're focusing on and the endurance and or adventure and most people are focused on both like endurance and adventure at once and that just doesn't work because here you are trying to be in the moment and then thinking about the future and then like you got all these like colliding emotions and you're like i want to step in this outlook but i can't I'm going to stop, but I got to do miles. And like that's how most through hikers are on the trail. And I'm just like, holy crap. We got some like very emotionally disturbed people who like lash out all the time because they're in this mental turmoil. I realized, I think by the time I was hiking through New Jersey and New York area that I saw this and I decided from there on out, you, I was either going to choose endurance or adventure as the theme for the day.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back, or welcome to another episode of the Feeding Curiosity Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. Feeding Curiosity explores human experience. Through conversations, we can learn from other people with their ideas, their habits, routines, and anything else they've picked up along the way. It's through these conversations that we can have blueprints to live better in any form. I hope you look at your own life with just a little bit more curiosity. My guest today on the podcast is Holly Kresko. Holly is the creator of Kickbutt Life. Her brand emphasizes the importance of incorporating adventure, thrills, strength, play, and community into everyday life. She's a deep love for the outdoors and is a strong believer that everyone should follow through on their craziest dreams. She through-hiked the 2,200-mile-long Appalachian Trail in 2019, and has done extensive hiking throughout Arizona, the decks, and the White Mountains. Her upcoming adventure plans include the Oregon Coast Trail, adventuring through the Caribbean, and Mount Kilimanjaro. Her journal on taking control of your life story comes out this June. I really enjoy having people on here who are adventurers and travelers, as someone who aspires to do more traveling and couldn't have the option after high school to to do such a thing, I find having conversations with people like Holly who orient themselves in a way that they can be in the world more to be very rewarding for myself. As this conversation unfolds, we start with Holly's background and how she basically got to the point that the Appalachian Trail made sense for her. But then at a broader level, we talk about what it is that drives people to do something like the Appalachian Trail. At some points, you could see it as something where people do it for one reason, but then they actually mean to do it for a different reason altogether, something that's driven by the external rather than the internal. So you won't derive as much from it if it is for an external reason rather than the internal because when you have to spend so much time on the road without the normal <laughs> comforts of life, you're confronted with th- these realities that you wouldn't be otherwise. We start with the Appalachian Trail, but I think we unpack it to how struggles and grounding yourself in reality and rest and recovery all play into how you feel fulfillment in your life. And it was a lot of fun. By the time we were basically done with this round one, we realized just how much more we could cover with that. Please enjoy this round one with Holly Kretschko. On today's episode, we are joined by Holly Kretchko. Hi, Holly. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for joining me here. It's been a lot of fun just to be, well, really, we've connected through Clubhouse. I almost forgot the name of the app there. (laughs) And a shout out to Maggie for making this possible because she just offhand mentioned it to me now. Because like, okay, fine, I got to just do that. And so just go ahead and tell us a little bit about your background.
0: All right. I guess we can start off on... For what I did for college. So in college, I studied um, documentary studies in anthropology. And then it was senior year, I decided I did not want it to be within the television radio field. So I actually started doing pre-med courses. I was like, all right, I want to do something with health. But then I realized medical school is gonna be way too expensive. And I'm like, all right, I got to do something to pay for my student debt in the meantime. So I actually joined <laughs> the military for a bit. I was in the army as a human intel collector for a bit. So I did that, got a medical chapter for having frostbite and then was kicked out of the military. (laughs) And yeah, that really pushed me to go through with what I wanted in the health field. And I started my personal training company in New York city in 2014. So yeah, I I came down from my hometown to New York city. I started from scratch. Uh, Went through a lot of crazy struggles there, like days where I couldn't pay for food and couldn't pay for a house and it was like couch surfing and it was pretty crazy. But yeah, it took a a year or so to really get that up and running. And when it did, it took off. Yeah, I have the documentary studies background, the personal training background, a little bit of military. And then, yeah, so I did my training company for a few years. And in 2019, I stopped my company to through hike the Appalachian Trail from Georgia to Maine. So I hiked 2,200 miles through the Smoky Mountains, Shenandoah National Park, the White Mountains. Um, Took seven months to do that. And since then, I've been doing a bunch of other stuff. Uh, Do you want me to go into everything I do currently?
1: (laughs) So we could just unpack a little bit about the the initial part of the journey first. And first, it's crazy just to have such a major pivot to go from wanting to be into film and documentary and things like that to then military, but then not only say military, then to personal training. It was like this idea of like movement, I guess. It it was like a broad category. Was that like a plan for you? Were you always into like movement or, or like fitness, I guess, broadly?
0: Yeah, so I've always been into fitness. I was thinking actually about starting a little bit earlier on with my story and explaining, yeah, I was in like track cross country, middle school and high school. Since I was a young kid, I was into hiking because I grew up in a rural environment. So my house is mm. My dad played hockey. So I was big into inline skating. And on the weekends, I would go watch him and my older brother play hockey and skate around the rink with the guys afterwards. I was always into fitness and hardcore adventures basically so that was like a value I felt like I was going to lose if I really got a job in the television radio field because it wasn't going to be this big adventure a lot of it was going to be all right I can do some shots outdoors but then I was going to be sitting at a desk and just editing my stuff all day and that is not what I wanted it actually was like a nightmare when I did my internship so I was like no that's not what I was going for with this
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is it something with at least the call to nature? I feel like more of us nowadays kind of sense this intuitively, even probably 30 to 50 years ago, it really wasn't this normal for us to like being immersed in nature, especially if you're used to only an urban environment. For you, is it something about because of being raised in a rural environment that you're more receptive of the normal, like average working environment, being stuck in an office and sitting for too many hours in a day yeah I
0: definitely think my upbringing had a large part to do with that because I, I think everyone's baseline is they function better in an outdoor environment I think it's just natural because we're animals and that's what our you know instincts are so I think that's how I grew up and I just saw how healthy that was and then going later on to college and being more stuck indoors and doing work and then seeing how my mental state changed how I wasn't functioning the same way and I wasn't looking at the world as like this huge playground anymore and things just aren't as fun when you when you get away from the outdoors and you focus so much on like your work and stuff when you get too into that whole world but yeah i'm just over the past few years i worked really hard to finally get my life to where i wanted to always be which is like outdoor travel adventure and i've gone right back to like my old mindset so I always knew I needed it, but it just, I had to go through a really hard time period where I was working indoors just to get to that financial place where I could do it. If that makes sense. Yeah. It, it was rough. Cause I saw, I had seen like the light at the end of the tunnel in the beginning and then it was like, all right, now I got to go in the tunnel for a few years and then I can come back out and now I'm good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting thing, especially with, I don't know why it seems like this, but to a lot of us, it's like being out in nature or maybe broadly traveling feels inaccessible to most of us because it, it feels like you need to spend a whole lot of money to do it. So it's like you convince yourself, even in general, it's just like the hedonic treadmill where it's like, oh, you got to go get a good job and you have a half a nice home and you have to do all of these things that usually require you to buy something to then give your give you access to the freedom you want. And it's at least to me, I don't know if this is true, but I feel like now I'm starting to realize that all of those like checkpoints is more because you're afraid to make the change because it's so different than the average experience of most people in America.
0: Yeah. I would say for myself, what took me so long to go out um and travel is just, I wanted to pay off my student debt first. Mm-hmm. It was insane what the payments were becoming. So that was my big thing. But um, yeah, for me, I'm not the type that's, Oh, I got to save a certain amount before I can go travel. Really? It's, that's what i am using all my money for is travel and food basically that's that's what i spend everything on but yeah there are a lot of people out there though that think they need to get to a certain checkpoint oh i need to have this much saved in the bank and i need to be at this checkpoint in my life oh i gotta you know have a relationship or a kid first before i can travel when really all this is just stuff that i feel like came about more so in the past let's say like 50 to 80 years like this is where we're slowly the you can see culture day day by day is evolving like big time out of that mindset. We don't have the, the American uh, housewife mindset anymore where you got to do all that first. <laughs> yeah, I feel like being nomadic is becoming the norm now. So people are slowly realizing that though.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. I remember when I started getting into podcasts early on, this is way before I even I got, like, thought I could even do one myself. But it was the, the idea of the digital nomad and the... Rolf Potts's book, Vagabond. It was like one of my first books that I ever really wrote read on travel and like how to just get around places with where you're spending would be like the equivalent of thirty dollars American a week in like places in China or other anywhere else, really even South American. I'm just like, that is I'm like, that makes no sense to me. Especially because my parents are from the Midwest and really haven't moved much since. I was born or even before that, it's a like stayed within like a hundred mile radius of where they were born. And I'm like, okay, I just have no concept of what it's like to get out into the world. Cause it's just not like normal for my parents to have that. So I just have no blueprint to, to even how to get into that mindset, I guess.
0: Yeah, what's interesting is my family, I come from a pretty low income family, so we didn't do any travel either. Mm-hmm. Like I had never even been on a plane until I joined the military. Wow, yeah. That gives you an idea. Like we'd go to virginia beach every summer and that was like our main trip of the year we just do a 10 or 12 hour car ride down and then back up which was always a pain and now i'm like i got like trauma from those long car rides <laughs> i'm like i'm gonna fly everywhere now <laughs> but anyways what's funny though is i look to a lot of like fictional characters as my inspiration when i was a kid so Laura Croft was Uh, a huge role model of mine. Like, even as a kid, I had a neighborhood Tomb Raider Club with all my friends. So we would pretend we're Laura Croft adventuring in the woods, and, like, we make obstacle courses. I loved her. I had her action figure in my bedroom. I also loved Indiana Jones, things like that. So I always, in that mindset where I'm like, oh, one day I'll be an adventurer like they were or Mm -hmm. they are. Yeah, that's so I didn't really look to anyone real for inspiration necessarily.
1: That's a really good point. Like, I didn't think about that to be a thing. But yeah, you're totally right. They really fit that adventure archetype, at least in the more modern sense, instead of the only one I could think of you was know, like Lewis and Clark in like real or or just people who go west. But there's nothing there's no like actual figure that I could think of that you'd point to and be like that guy or, <laughs> yeah. or, or that family, maybe. <laughs> That's really interesting. So from there. Let's just, like, unpack the whole thing that is the Appalachian Trail for... You did a brief overview of it already, but, like, why that? Like, I've heard stories of people who've done it, and it's just... It sounds crazy to me, but also oddly, like, fascinating, right? (laughs) Like...
0: You're enticed by it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was... In between freshman and sophomore year of college, where I wanted to go on a pretty big adventure. So this was 10 years, or how long ago now? From the time I started my thru-hike to the time I'm talking about now, it was 10 years. So I was asking my friends, like, hey, we're done with freshman year of college. I feel like I'm drained and losing my soul at college. So what do you want to go on a certain adventure with me? Like I, I came across something on Google that's called like the Appalachian trail. i never heard of it, but like I would like to do as much as I can then maybe finish it the next year. Or this is my second idea was, do you want to go train car hopping? So we just jump on a train, see where it brings us, jump on another one. So I was asking all my friends, like, "Hey, you want to do the Appalachian Trail? Or do you want to train hop? Do you want to do that Appalachian Trail? Do you want to train hop?" But I was going around to everyone. No one wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been the crazy one of like all my friend groups mm-hmm. that wants to do all this stuff, and I, I sometimes get people interested, but then they fall out before it happens. But yeah. So anyways, yeah, it was mostly I wanted to do the Appalachian Trail in between freshman and sophomore year of college because I just wanted to refuel my soul, basically, and feel like my adventure spirit again. But like I said, I had to wait 10 years to do it, mostly because I had to be in a financial spot where I could do it, and also at the time in college, I wasn't okay with doing that on my own. So yeah, at at that point I was okay with solo travel and in financial spot. So yeah, the Appalachian trail, like I said, I wanted to do it for that reason, but also because it would mark like my first big adventure in the world. I was using that as like my turning point to say like, all right, this is like where you unleash all of your adventures after this. Once you do this, you're good to go. So like I had planned last year on doing Kilimanjaro and a bunch of other through hikes and traveling to all these places I always imagined. But obviously with the shutdown, I couldn't and had put them on hold, but I'm going to be doing them this year, next year. Yeah, that was, it was a very big like I said turning point in my life is very symbolic of all the hard work I put in to say all right you can finally live the life you've imagined
1: yeah (laughs) true adventure that's so cool I think especially doing something like the Appalachian Trail is like an inflection point for someone it's like maybe the closest to like a coming of age event that we could in a modern sense there's not many of them for young people right now or at least outside of like the usual ones, like marriage or things like that. But for the most part, it's not really like you sitting out on your own path and making, you know, the name for yourself in quotes. That's not, I feel like sometimes the entrepreneurial category kind of can be that for some people, but I I don't know if that is really always healthy because it's tied to something that is typically monetary and money's not the story of everything. (laughs) So it's, I I think it's a a fascinating idea, just at least for me too, because I can, think similarly because one of the inflection points in my own life was deciding to do a tough mudder which is no nowhere near in scale uh, as the Appalachian Trail but I was never an athletic person and so for me to convince myself that I one had to train and then also co- like committing to actually complete the tough mudder was like on uh, on a whole nother level for me and it really just was like oh wait the preconception of who you had of yourself is not anything what you have like remotely close to the limit if that makes sense
0: yeah definitely that's i always tell people that going onto the trail i was nervous about many things but it was such a good nervousness where i'm like i'm going to be pushing myself into doing things i've never done uh, like sleeping alone in a tent some nights or having animal encounters and being on my own and having to deal with that, trying to navigate things like that. So I was so excited for that to push myself into that next realm of confidence, basically to be like, Holy yeah. crap, after this. And now it's like, what would be the next level after that? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I knew I was going to be putting myself out there big time and I am so thankful I did. I'm glad I did not go out there with a hiking partner. Like oh, just really? yeah. from the beginning, I'm so glad I went solo. Like I did meet tons of people along the way, but there were days where I would hardly see anyone for like a few days on end. Or there were even a couple months where I pretty much just hiked all alone. And then you just see some people at shelters every now and then, but yeah, I was most, I would say I was mostly like solo. I, I definitely was known on trail for doing my own thing. I would stop in towns longer than other hikers and they're like, we're, what are you doing? You got to hike. And I'm like, no, this is a cool town. Like you guys go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Taking like every adventure as it comes and not thinking about the future and yeah. you know, about the mountain miles I was doing. It was great. Just boost of confidence and a super like adventurous
1: trail (laughs) so two questions come to mind there first is did you have any like skills because i know i would assume it's easy now to have a gps tracker and you can tell directions or whether or not you're going off trail but did you have any redundance that was not like technology dependent there and then the second one was just like staying in towns and things like that like resupplying and just how do you continue to to have enough food
0: yeah so on as far as navigation goes it's really brainless because there is the app called gut hooks the hiking app and it has a gps on there that works even airplane mode oh wow so if you ever feel like you went off trail you could pull that up and it would put you right back on trail so as long as you had your phone with you or the battery wasn't dead you were good but yeah most people don't use paper maps nowadays for the long trails there are some like the one i'm going to be doing which i'll get into the oregon coast trail on that's not an official trail so like i'm not going to be using a gps on that one at all But yeah, so for the AT, I just used a GPS, very brainless. There were a couple of times I got lost a little bit and was like, oh, crap. And even the GPS was off. So it took me a while to get back on trail because I couldn't figure it out. Like I was on a mountaintop. It was all rocky. The GPS was off. I don't see a trail. So yeah, there was that. Um, Also doing night hiking uh that's interesting too because yeah you see the trail but it creates a whole new terrain i can get into that later
1: as well yeah we'll definitely talk about that that sounds really interesting
0: yeah and then as far as resupplying goes basically when you get to a road crossing that would lead to a town you could either walk into town or you could hitchhike into town some hostels also provided shuttles that would drive you right in but yeah i mostly just walked or hitchhiked into town and then i would always go to the restaurants that's how I got my trail name tailgater I'd go to the restaurants like tailgate there for eight hours talk to everyone all the locals everyone would know me by the end of the night <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I was big into that but yeah I'd go to the restaurants refuel calories that way and then I would go to a grocery store um get some like more cliff bars pro bars or like an outfitter would have more of the nutrient-dense bars And then head back out. That was pretty much my schedule for making sure I had enough food. (laughs) Eating a ton of calories while in town. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's crazy. I I think I remember in a clubhouse, you were talking about through hikes. It might have been you or someone else. But they had said that some people just will be on the trails, like these long trails, and then just never leave towns.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. I said that. Yeah. There's um, one guy, crazy wolf. I know of, I think he's still there too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he ended up at the station 19 E hostel slash restaurant during his through hike became a bartender and he has never left. And he is one of the coolest people I met on the trail. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'll get back on trail maybe at some point. So <laughs> he still plans on finishing the last I heard. So yeah, that's hilarious. It's so, so- funny. Some people are just on the trail to live life basically and then they come across a cool opportunity or something to connect with and then they're off the trail and just living wherever they ended up.
1: (laughs) It sounds like it makes sense. It's almost like the modern version of backpacking through Europe or not even the modern version but the US's version or something like that. Just go on like your own little like adventure and figure out where and if something clicks you're like here I am.
0: yep that's exactly what it's like yeah do you want me to go back to the night hiking stuff as well
1: yeah we could definitely talk about that that sounds really interesting
0: (laughs) yeah let me talk about night hiking and the four state challenge so two pretty crazy things i pushed myself into while on the trail was night hiking and also doing the four state challenge which is a 24 hour hike through four states so first, let me discuss night hiking. A lot of people don't do it because they do realize more animals are active at nighttime, But other people are like, oh, I do it all the time. It's no, no big deal. But those people are far few in between. Yeah, there were times where I want to push extra miles to get close to town. So I'd be like right by the town the next morning. Or there were days where I just was doing a, a big mile day and I would finish a night. So. Yeah. During those days, I would see a lot more nightlife. I would see animals that were like there. I could see from my headlamp, their eyes shining back at me and their eyes were like three or four feet off the ground. So I knew it was either a deer or a bear and I never knew what I was going by. Maybe like 20 feet off the trail, not moving. And I'm like, what is that? I can't <laughs> see what it is. Yeah. It's definitely intense. Um, especially when you're on your own and I'm only five two, So I'm like thinking a lot of these animals are taller than me. <laughs> so I'm like, Oh my God, I'm by myself. Um, no way to do distress calls. I don't have the garment in reach on me or anything. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm really putting myself out there and feeling just going with whatever happens in the universe. I don't have any say in what happens. Yeah, that was, that was cool to push myself to do that. I also did the four state challenge. I went through Virginia. I should say the Northern part of Virginia to West Virginia, Maryland to Pennsylvania in 24 hours. So I, I hiked 47 miles up and down mountains. And that i also had a night hike with because i started at 7 30 p.m already up for 12 hours and i started at nighttime, and i had some of the worst animal run-ins i had on the trail during that like i start off with within half a mile a cub but i think it was lost from its mom it started screaming and i didn't know what the noise was so i took my AirPods out i'm like what is that noise and then the cub came running out of the woods, down a log that was across the path and jumped on a tree and was just screaming. It, it was one of those terrifying noises I've ever heard. Like a gurgling scream. And then everything in the woods just started moving. Like I saw deer running and I, and then I don't, I heard something like far off in the distance running. I'm like, Oh my God, is that the mama bear? That's how my poor state challenge started off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> off to a great start. Oh my God. That sounds so intense. Man.
0: um, Yeah, that was, you you can go on and ask questions about that. I I can say so (laughs) much about that that adventure.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It just sounds crazy to me. Like I, I know, I knew a little bit about night hiking, not too much. I've heard stories from like Adam Greentree and some of those other crazy hiker hunter type people. And they just do these crazy things and they're really respectful of just like understanding animals and the territory you're in just trying to understand at least from your perspective, like just the different animals and knowing if something were to happen, did you have any like contingency plans or ways? To...
0: So when I night hiked or when I was um, <clears throat> doing some more extreme adventuring, I would wear my neck knife actually on my neck. So a neck knife is, basically a sheath that's on a necklace and then you could connect your knife to the sheath. And I I would always have that actually around my neck when I was doing those more crazier adventures, especially when I was near towns, there were times like going through parts of Virginia, but also like Pennsylvania, New York, you're always hitting roads. And that would worry me just being like, if I'm night hiking and I'm going by so many roads, people could easily be out there that just live there or whatever. Cause there's a lot of weird stuff that happened Mm -hmm. the year I was in trail, So I was very aware of that. But uh, yeah, I had my neck knife on me um, on, sorry, I should say at nighttime, I had my neck knife around me, but it was always in my fanny pack. Otherwise, it never left my side. Even Mm. when I was in town, I had it on me.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's not something you normally think about whether or not it's safe to be on trail, but it just makes sense that you'd want to be prepared in any situation, especially just because people are opportunistic. If they know you're alone and you're just out there, you got to be able to just, if you have no backup plan. And so you just have to be in like have it visible so that people are like don't just don't just that's yeah. not worth that's your like, trouble
0: <laughs> that's like the animals out there can be very um haphazard like i had a rattlesnake lunge at me when i was going across the 800 mile marker in virginia mm. uh, it just came out of nowhere because they're so territorial and oh. I wasn't even messing with it. I didn't even know it was there. I just saw something like, or I heard something coming through the leaves. And I'm like, what is that? And then a rattlesnake <laughs> popped out. Oh my God. <laughs> so like, I did have that. I also ran into a moose in Maine, the largest moose I've probably ever heard of. I came across it. It was insanely tall. So like I had those things happen, but the year I hiked in particular was a weird one because we had a murder on trail. We also had a lot of sexual assault cases and we had theft. There is a lot of stuff. And man, does, does most of this go reported. No. So does this maybe happen every year? Possibly. But right, yeah, I ran into a lot of weird people, and and I also knew going through towns. I heard some stories about locals doing some crazy stuff. So I was like, I am going to be very careful when I go to road crossings or uh, <laughs> shelters or anything.
1: <laughs> I feel like yeah. some of this stuff gets romanticized. <laughs>
0: Yeah, definitely. It was crazy. There was a long stretch there, probably for like a good six to eight weeks. I was actually really on edge about people just because so many weird things were happening when I was going through Virginia. Mm-hmm. And it really sort of ruined that part of the through hike because I was so like on edge. My nervous system was shot all the time. Yeah. Were you, were,
1: you, were you just hear stories through like the grapevine from like other travelers around and you just get stories somehow and you're just like, this is not good. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So you would either hear about people behind you or ahead of you through other hikers Mm -hmm. or the hostels would tell you like, hey, there's like a bad type of hiker that's 50 miles behind you. You might want to get out of town today so they don't catch up. I'm like, "Okay, I'm doing that. But yeah, so the, the hostels have a pretty good communication chain and they're very trustworthy (laughs) source of information so that's where I mostly got that from Mm -hmm. I would go to every hostel like hey did this hiker catch up to the last hostel yet and be like no so I would spend a few extra days than I was planning on because of that
1: yeah that's an interesting one I wouldn't have thought that the hostel network would be this like chain of information that's for the hikers to whether or not people are are good or bad but I don't know it almost it feels like something that would have been more commonplace a couple hundred years ago without technology for the most part, where people would just understand the people in the area more and be like, hey, such and such is, or just a type of person. And it's not something that, at least in modern society, most of us even consider at all.
0: I was saying, though, one thing that's so interesting about the trail is it's so old school in many ways, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um You don't really get that in the real world nowadays because it feels more commercialized. So if you go to a hotel, they're not going to be connected to other hotels, even within the area very well. But yeah, on the trail, people uh, that own hostels in Maine know about what's going down in Georgia hostels. Like Mm -hmm. the chain goes all the way up the trail and everyone's connected. And a lot of hostel owners are previous through hikers too. So they're super connected when the hikers come through. And that's also like, I'm planning on opening a hostel because I love the, the hostel environment so much. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to this year, but with the shutdown, I have not right. yet. It's still on my goal list for the next coming year.
1: Yeah. That's really cool. And is it something to, at least like with the hostel network, is it something that because the, I'm assuming the trail is pretty like popular in general. I'm not sure how many people actually walk it each year or if offhand. But it, it's something that is consistent enough that it, it has its own community built up around it. And it would just make sense that they would just have this intercommunicate, like it basically just a network. It's just yeah. instead of the internet, it's probably facilitated with the internet nowadays, but it it's would be like a pre-modern internet kind of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So basically, I think it's several million people walk the Appalachian Trail every year because it does go through national parks. So like mm-hmm. obviously people are going to the Great Smoky Mountains or Shenandoah. So they count those. But very far, or very um, few people actually through hike it. Yeah. So okay. Like, let's say three to five thousand people a year attempt a through hike. Yeah. And only four to seven hundred people actually make the whole through hike per year. So, yeah, there. It sounds like a lot of people are on the AT, but it's mostly because the national parks or
1: yeah.
0: the state parks like the White Mountains in New Hampshire, or they're very heavily populated with tourists in those areas.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes more sense. I, I wouldn't expect it to be like crazy for people to, or a high volume amount of people making the thru-hike, especially because you said it took you seven months, if I remember correctly. Yep. And so yeah. that's, I'm assuming that's probably about the average for most people.
0: Yeah. Most people finish in six months. Um, I took a little longer because I got holed up in New Hampshire. They thought I had Lyme disease. So oh. for two weeks I was barely hiking. Well, let's just say like three weeks even the week after that, I was barely making miles. It was pretty rough. Like, I was going into the white mountains of New Hampshire at that point too, which are known for being the roughest miles of the trail. And cause you're, you're climbing so much elevation per day. So even like a healthy thru hiker, their miles go down when they get to the white mountains. They can't do a like 20 plus miles a day all the time. Like most people do more like 15, 16 miles a day, and that's still pushing them big time.
1: That's crazy. So before we pivot out of the Appalachian Trail area, I just want to ask just what is a typical day of a hiker? If you're doing not, it doesn't have to be a through hike, but it's just like a multi-day hiking somewhere.
0: Yeah. Even just for like shorter backpacking trips. So basically let's just start that you're already in the woods. So you're going to wake up, go to the bathroom because usually you're holding and so you don't have to get out of your tent and wake yourself up in the middle of the night. So yeah, people will go to the bathroom. And then I like to eat before I take down my tent and everything. So I'll usually grab like a pro bar or cliff bar type thing and eat that. A lot of people prefer cooking, but I don't really, I'm not particular about that. I don't care. I just want fuel. So yeah, I'll eat. And then um, I go back in my tent, get dressed while I'm getting dressed. I'll make sure I'm, um, I, I, he, seal up anything. If there's blisters, I'll put some tape on it. Um, I'm now using body glide. So I'll also put body glide on and make sure I'm not going to get chafing for a long mile of days. And then, yeah, I, I take down my tent and I should say, I, I repack my bag, put all my clothing and stuff in it first, my sleeping bag, my uh, sleeping pad. And then, then I take my tent down and I put that in my bag, pack it up, and then I'm, I'm good to go. So that's my morning routine. And then, yeah, for most people, if they're doing like 15 plus mile a day, they're not gonna have much time for stopping. So basically you will... Yeah, hike for, let's say, three or four hours, then take a snack break at usually an Outlook or another shelter. Uh, I like to take them Outlooks just so I can actually have time to sit down and enjoy the views that I'm hiking for. Other people, they just breeze right on by, and I'm like, what are you hiking for? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, you, you just pretty much continue that throughout the day. You hike for eight to 12 hours a day, and you're just going nonstop. A lot of people in the beginning will start without listening to podcasts or music, but by the end everyone for the most part has like their AirPods in their ears and are just like, I need this to get through. Especially in the rough days where there's nothing interesting in the terrain and it's like raining and cold. Those are the days like music helps get you through. Yeah. Some days it's kind not of bad, but there were days I needed that. I needed the music or the <clears> podcast.
1: Yeah. That's, that's an interesting one. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought that people would want to be listening to something for as long uh, or eventually, but it, it, I guess it makes sense, right? If the terrain isn't changing, or if it's just a crappy day, or you're just not even feeling it, right? Especially, if, yeah. I, I guess, if you're hiking, like you can't be motivated every day, like just like normal life, obviously, but it's those days you're going to wake up and be like, God, I don't want to be here. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Especially in the days where, like I said, the terrain's so boring and you're just like, I I can hear a highway away from me. That's a mile down the road. I can hear the highway. Mm-hmm. I'm not really in true deep woods. That's what makes it. The train boring. That's, I'm like, I don't even feel like I'm, you know, in deep wilderness. It's pretty much just like the part that's connecting through all the towns. I'm trying to get back to the deep wilderness. So, yeah, like, yeah but there's stretches like that for a few days where it's like, oh, this is horrible. And, it, and especially if it was raining and cold, it's just like, I need something to keep my mind more positive. And I also, I've never heard anyone say this really, but I call it your mind flatlining mm. after a while um you are doing the same thing every day and you're not learning anything new, like the challenge of backpacking is more just physical. And you're not trying to figure out like how to set up camp and all that. Like you got that down and you're like, all right, what's the next challenge? Nothing. Cause I still have four more months of backpacking left. <laughs> and that's why uh, podcasts are so great. is because it helps your mind not flatline. You're still yeah. learning up. Like Joe Rogan's podcast was huge on our trail. Like everyone would listen to Joe Rogan's show and then we would go to like camp at nighttime and be talking about the episode
1: (laughs) that's that's honestly really interesting because i i remember when i'd first gotten into rogan and i was like wow four hour podcast this is insane like who has time to listen to that because like in modern life we're distracted so many times or people need our attention every maybe 10 20 minutes but if you're doing something for three four hour stretches you, you that's a perfect length for you to just check out and just listen to something. Plus it's, I've always found podcasts engaging for the fact that you can do something repetitive and simple like hiking or backpacking and just still be engaged with the thing you're listening to without really missing either of the things.
0: Yep. I totally agree. I would normally, you know, try to save up all my house tasks, like washing dishes, vacuuming and all that for my podcast listening. But for Joe Rogan's there are longer ones and I'd be like, what else do I do? Hmm, maybe I have to go on a run with the podcast now, even though I like listening to music when I run. But yeah, <laughs> I, know, I, I can't just sit and listen to a podcast. I gotta do something. So yeah, through hikers are the perfect audience for these podcasts that are longer.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. I had I hadn't thought of that as a, a possible thing because when I think about hiking, I think of it at least early on would be something like a moving meditation. If you choose not to listen to music or something, where you just have to just get used to moving for long periods of time. Especially with our with the the pandemic and being stuck inside, that's just in, in its own way. It's wow, we can go somewhere. But <laughs> it's also just the idea that we just become more in tune with moving the body because I just don't think we even because we don't use it in that way enough anymore. It's it's easy just to be like it lose the connection because like when your body doesn't need to know like where your it is in space, it's just cool. I don't need to waste energy on that.
0: Yeah. And I started my through hike with the build of a bodybuilder because I had been bulking for about two or three years prior to the through hike. So I was already very into being aware of my body, but it's still not the same as walking where you're Mm. more flow mode and You're thinking about navigation and just getting from this town to this town. It really helps heal your mind in many ways, even when it comes to that, because I feel like nowadays, like modern fitness is all about, oh, look at this physique or lose body fat. But when you're on trail, you're just getting fit as like a second outcome. Your your, your main reason for hiking is to see these cool sites and get from point A to point B. And just really trusting your body's going to get there. That's the coolest part about hiking. It's bringing your fitness mindset back to how it really should be. Yeah. And I, I come from like a personal training background. So obviously I know you need to work out your underworked muscles to make sure you don't get injured, especially later on in life. But for, yeah, I've definitely gone back to more of the flow type of fitness ever since my through hike. I'm not in gym all the time. I'm not pushing my body to like crazy things. I'm very in tune with what my body needs and yeah, just doing more normal, natural stuff.
1: Yeah, I totally, I resonate with that in, in my own way because it's, it's, part of, it's part of the engineering me, but it's also, I, I just really resonate with the idea of the category would be called uh functional fitness, but I just always... Thought that the average like bodybuilder mentality, those kind of things was always, it was more like a vain pursuit. Whereas you want to chase for a six pack ab or whatever, or bigger pecs as a dude. I always just thought that if it's like the form follows function. And so if you are functioning correctly, then you will look good as a byproduct of doing something right or doing something good for your body because your body adapts to the stress you put on it. And so I was just always in that mindset that if I'm going to do something, I'm not going to do it just because it's going to make something look better. If it means that I have less range of motion or more likely to hurt myself, then why would I even want to do that? So it's like I'm really in the camp of like kettlebells and, and I have like sandbags and weighted vests and things like that. And just like, how do you just adapt onto what the body would naturally want to be doing or the things that because of modern life, we don't do enough. So just to walk back from that so that I can function better. One of my favorite ideas is from Dr. Peter Tia. He's really big into or used to be a cyclist, but his whole thing, he's a doctor, is longevity. And so he has an idea of called the Centenarian Olympics. So basically, what would you want to be doing at 100 years old as top 10 exercises or something like that?
0: Yeah, I've I've heard of that. And I think it's a pretty cool concept. I'm also very into functional fitness. And that's what I had been doing most of my life. It was just when I moved to the city, I felt very limited in what Mm -hmm. I could do. So I decided to start doing something for just a few years. So I knew I was only going to do it for a few years, just because I want to see where I can get my body. So I did go to the gym a lot more often than I actually wanted to probably because limited I'm like all right I can't do some trail running every day now I got to focus on something else yeah that's why I did that but yeah like I said it was never meant to be like a long-term thing I was just curious about it but I'm glad I got that experience to see what it was like and see I can push my body and it does bulk up very easily and I'm like that's pretty cool to see that but look and then I look at my goal list that I'm like I want to do all these long trails I want to travel the world I can't be at a gym every day and lifting weights and doing this and that it's really what do I prioritize? And obviously it's my goal list. And could I be in a gym more than I am now? Yeah. Because right now I'm not going to the gym at all because it's with COVID or everything, but in, yeah, I, I don't know. I want somewhere in between. I want somewhere in between like right now I'm not going to the gym at all. I do want to go to the gym again, but I also I'm not going to prioritize that over my goals is basically what I'm saying. So.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's finding the balance for whatever works best for you at the current stage of life that you're in. And it, I think and this is more of just a general thing when it comes to like goal setting and, and accomplishing goals. I think most people will over, like over assume what they do in the short term and say, I'm going to go to the gym six days a week. And as soon as they fall off the horse, they immediately they're like, well, I'm a failure and I can't now I can't even go to the gym, gym at all. And yeah, they just immediately hilarious. berate themselves into being a failure when it's like whatever, like. It it doesn't matter that you missed one day, or it's like if you missed one day on your diet, like it it's not going to change anything in the long term. If you get back on onto your goal and you start going, then all of a sudden the next you know week or a month from now, you're going to be in a better place than you would be had you not done it at all. You yeah, know? and
0: that's another important thing is just like the whole concept of rest is not within the fitness field. It's I don't know why that doesn't exist, but when I was bodybuilding, four days a week, I was doing two day workouts. So I was training six days a week and four of those days I was doing twice a day. It was insane. And I wrote down all my macronutrients. I actually hand wrote everything. So like this is the protein, these are the fats, these are the carbs, this amount of calories. Like I was on top of it. It was ridiculous, but yeah, like when it came to diet or working out, I did not give myself proper rest. I was barely sleeping some nights between all my personal training clients and my two day workouts and that's something I will never do to myself again because I I can still feel the long term health effects <laughs> of not resting and yeah that's something I think is really great also about doing more functional stuff and like adventure travel doing like outdoor adventure travel mm-hmm. and getting fit through that is that you do stop and rest and enjoy the moment and the goals a bit more and you're not
1: just like a robot going through this program i think too i don't know if when this may have happened for you is like when did the like recovery Or have you seen it now because you still do personal training? But for me, I think recovery started showing up more probably within the last two years. And I I don't know when the switch kind of flipped with understanding the longevity of, yeah, you can be like a superstar athlete, but it's like the time you don't spend in the gym is just as important as the time that you spend in the gym or doing whatever activity that you're doing. And that's why I wear wearables like whoop. And I also wear aura ring. I'm tracking my sleep. I'm tracking my HRV. I'm tracking basically everything I could possibly be tracking just to know like the little things that I'm doing outside of like my time while actually being physically active is actually being helpful to what I want to be doing to be just yeah. more mentally focused at the very least, or just being able to have enough energy to care about the other things in my life the people, the friends, and the other, like do, doing this podcast, right? Like you have to have enough energy to do things. And so you have to just be mindful of certain things.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I feel like it, there's a huge shift in, I guess, the, what you'd call the common collective, like two to three years ago. I think the fitness industry is more like three or four years ago. I started seeing a lot more people emphasizing rest and sleeping and not training when you don't feel well. I'm um, not pushing your body because it's just not good for your overall health. So I felt like I saw it there. And then I'm an entrepreneur. I have multiple businesses. So I'm big in like business mindset and following coaches. I noticed about two years ago within the coaching and business industry that people were saying no more hustle. Like hustle's so stupid. Stop doing the hustle mindset. Like it's so dumb. Why would you do that to yourself? You're you're becoming an entrepreneur. To you have more control over your life and then here you are being like i'm gonna hustle 24 7 so i don't even have a life yeah it's cool to see everyone's changing their mindset on that, not and they're not valuing those who get no sleep if you hear your friend nowadays be like, like dude like i'm I'm doing so good i got no sleep because i'm working so hard blah blah you'd be like wait a minute like, that's not good like you need to sleep well a few years ago i feel like that would have been rewarded by most people so yeah it's very different how times are changing i felt like that was a very short thing for like a decade or two where people were hustling and all different parts of their life. But I think people see it's not sustainable or healthy.
1: I think there's a very few amount of people in the world that can actually sustain incredible output with very little sleep or just time away from the thing, even if you're really invested in the thing that you're doing. And there's still going to be days that you're going to just not want to do that or just days that you're just like, I'd rather just put my feet up and read a good book or just do nothing. I don't. I don't care who you are, but there's a point where you're just like, I'm good. I just kind of want to sit back and do nothing.
0: Yeah, that's we need those lulls in life just so we can actually reflect on what we've been doing, rather than keep moving forward and being like, go. Mm-hmm. What's the point of that if you don't have that time of reflection and time to appreciate what you've been doing and looking at where you've come from and where you're heading? I think those, it's so, so important to make sure you have those lulls and don't feel bad or guilty for having that time or you're doing quote-unquote nothing because yeah. you're doing a whole lot in that time.
1: It's like the idea of slowing down. in a lot of times, like with modern society being so fast-paced and everything's changing and it's depending on the circles you're in, you could be just trapped in cycles of doing where you're, you finish one thing and you're on to the next thing and on to the next thing. And before you know it, years pass you by and you don't realize just how much you've actually been doing. You're like, oh, I don't know how I got here. And I don't really like being where I'm here but now I'm here.
0: <laughs> I'm really big on um, self-reflection and that I feel like, I've never used this analogy, it's a little cheesy, but think of it as like a compass basically. Like you feel like you're still on track, but without that self-reflection, your needle might be pointing slightly away from north where you're trying to go. And then you slowly start veering off, veering off, and now you're on a completely different path after a year or two of doing that. And self-reflecting basically is big for me because I feel like I'm constantly readjusting my route, making sure I'm on the exact route I want to be going on, whether it's I looking at my energy. Am I having fun with life? Am I feeling like I'm incorporating adventure and play? Yeah. Um, if not, I'm going to recalibrate that. Um, and as far as priorities go, am I starting to prioritize like some dumb tasks I don't care about and putting that over like quality time with family and friends or work moves that will actually, you know, bring me to these big projects that I truly care about. If I'm focused on that, the other crap, I got to re, reprioritize and recalibrate. So
1: yeah, that's yeah. really cool. How do you do your reflection? Do you have a journal? Do you handwrite? Do you just type in your phone? Do you have any specifics?
0: Yeah. So I'm really big on journaling, whether it's just free journaling where you're taking like 10 or 15 minutes and just writing everything that comes out of your mind onto the paper or having a few cues to write with and i only like certain journals because some of them are very hustle focused while others are you know what i mean they're like what five things are you gonna do today i hate those things i like journals that are more like what are you feeling right now what do you want to feel what's on your mind like it gives you a space to actually List off the things in your mind. Just keep things normal and don't feel like you're adding pressure. Just reflecting. Yeah, I'm big on journaling and I'm big on going outside into an outdoor space to really ground myself. Even if I go outside in like New York City, I don't feel like I'm grounding myself. I need to like make sure I take that escape like every week or two and get to a real true outdoor like environment and be able to look up the night sky or the moon
1: and like really remind myself where I am in the world. I'm not a huge journaler. I do have a couple different ones, but every so often I'll just have, I typically try to like keep a book with me at all times and then just have a notebook of some sort. I don't really consider it journaling, but if an idea pops into my head, I usually try to have something and it's, I don't know why, but if there's something with handwriting things that just, it feels different. It's like when you handwrite it, it's like, it leaves your body in some way, especially if it's something that's annoying you or like makes you anxious.
0: Yeah, even when you when you handwrite something, I think you're being very intentional. Hmm. Like you, you may be editing your thoughts slightly, but you're being intentional, especially because for most people, they're writing with a pen and they're like, all right, I can't erase this. So this needs to be a true thought that's coming out of my head. If I'm, for example, like, Sometimes I journal in my notepad app on my phone if I'm like in a desperate need for it on like the subway or something and I'm like I backspace when I write and I rewrite it and then I edit and I'm like this doesn't even feel right it doesn't come out the same way so it works but yeah handwriting I agree it's very intentional wording
1: and reflection yeah so that's why I prefer that. I've experimented with fountain pens uh, I, I don't know why someone had recommended in a podcast and I'm like fountain pen I'm like that sounds like one of those quill things. <laughs> And so I just I've bought a couple here and there just for fun, just to see what it's like to have a, a yeah. very different type of writing utensil. The ink is completely different. <laughs> yeah. Know.
0: When I write on stuff, I want I have different colored papers. So like depending on oh, what cool. I'm in, I'll even write on a different colored paper <laughs> or with different types of ink. So I, I do that. Um I'm big on like themes and energy. Okay. So like if I have a day where I'm like focusing on play, I yeah, I like to have my color or my paper color, like, really bright and neon and stuff like that. <laughs> so, Or, like, adventure, like, I'd be mean, writing, like, a green piece of paper. Yeah. So,
1: I, I really think that's actually, uh, like, a normal thing for us because I think color and just, like, the room we're in, like, dictates the mental state. I don't know if you've, you've thought about this. In some ways, being in the pandemic makes it really hard to switch, like, your ability to do tasks because the same room in your house now occupies like three different mental states where it's if you work from home now your room wherever your computer is is both a leisure thing and a work thing at the same time and then it gets even worse if you live like in a studio apartment where all you can do is segment your space into different areas but even then that's difficult because if you want to be in a creative headspace and you got distractions behind you and you're like I'd much rather be doing that thing over the- Yeah
0: I've never really had an actual normal job ever <laughs> so, <laughs> so I've never gotten to experience really the segmentation between work and life mm-hmm. and that's actually one of my biggest struggles especially being an entrepreneur with multiple companies I'm constantly trying to divide my day like all right this is when you turn off work mode <laughs> like, yeah. I I will I am so passionate about a lot of my projects that I will you know work till midnight. 2am, 3am sometimes, but I've been really good the past year at setting some boundaries. So I'm doing that less and less, but yeah, I definitely agree with you that not having that segmentation can be a lot for your mindset. Definitely,
1: yeah. It's one of the things that why I even try to just get outside because it helps me create like transitional places. So even if I work at home, what I try to do is create things that allow me to transition in my day. And so it's going outside or just going to the gym or getting food will help me be like, okay, this is your transition from work mode into whatever the next thing that you're going to be doing so that you have a little bit of a mental switch to ease yourself into it. Instead of just opening a window on your computer, right? Like you'd open and close a different program. That's like really jarring. It's not as easy to be in, like be able to just switch like that. And so I just pay attention to that because it's, I've just found for myself that it helps me switch things so that I'm not bringing in either negativity or the worry of a different category (laughs) into the next thing. You know,
0: (laughs) that's funny. I think that what you said goes a lot along with one of my big um life realizations on the trail, Mm -hmm. which was I always realized like people are in either when they're on the trail they're focusing on the endurance and or adventure and most people are focused on both like endurance and adventure at once and that just doesn't work because here you are trying to be in the moment and then thinking about the future and then like you got all these like colliding emotions and you're like i want to step at this outlook but i can't but i'm gonna stop but i gotta do miles and like that's how most through hikers are on the trail and i'm just like holy crap we got some like Very emotionally disturbed people who like lash out all the time because they're in this mental turmoil. I realized, I think by the time I was hiking through New Jersey and New York area that I saw this and I decided from there on out, I was either going to choose endurance or adventure as the theme for the day. So I wasn't having this colliding and this inner turmoil going on. I'd be like, all right, I'm going to do a big mile day and I'm going to be focused on physical pain and mental endurance. And then the next day, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do a shorter mile day, or I don't even care where I get to camp. It's just going to be all about adventure, enjoying the moment, doing like a lot of meditative type of moments where I just sit and look out. But yeah, that's, it's so much better to definitely have that segmentation when you're doing stuff like that as well. So you don't ruin the moments that could be so great with this anxiety about the future. Decide what you're going to (laughs) do.
1: I didn't think about that, but it, it almost seems like a byproduct of like why people like it's it's part of the 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 draw to travel or do something like the Appalachian Trail we convince ourselves that we want to go out and break out of the normal world whatever the normal world is for that person but the, most of the time, it's we can't just say I just need to go find myself like as a soul-searching thing because people are gonna look at you. You, know, you got friends, family, coworkers, whatever that are gonna be like, oh, you're gonna go become a hippie now in in the forest. So then you just convince yourself that hey, I have to go out and do the Appalachian Trail. It's a it's a thing in endurance. Like I'm pushing myself to be better whatever that looks like. But they, it's like those two things don't really mesh super well, especially if you're not like hadn't thought about it until you're there and you're like, I have to prove something. And they'd be like also, I just want to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly
0: how it is. <laughs> so many people quit their thru-hikes so early on because of that. Or they quit even when they get to like Pennsylvania, which is more than halfway into the journey because they go, it's not what I thought it was going to be. AKA, I'm not getting out of it what i wanted to and then i looked at how they were hiking the whole trail or at least what i saw and it was that inner turmoil where they're not taking they're not in the present moment they're so focused on miles and through hikers really do got to be focused on miles because you do got to beat bad weather so you got to make it to a certain place at certain times but You really don't need to be doing that to yourself every day. Like I took so many rest days and just stayed at hostels for a few days on end and just chilled out Mm -hmm. and had great memories created by that. But yeah, I think it's an important concept on trail and one to apply to just normal everyday life. I I think everyone can relate to certain parts of their life where it's so much better. Oh, you go home to visit your family, but here you are thinking, oh my God, I got to get a flight out or catch a bus and then go back to work in a few days. And it's like. What's the point of going home if you're not going to be totally in that moment and you're already worrying about the future and what you got to do? So, yeah, I think too much worrying about the future just takes away from such quality moments and memories of your life.
1: Yeah, definitely. I remember hearing a quote about anxiety, and it's worrying about the same thing twice before you even done it and then while you're doing it. <laughs> that's, that's actually a really great definition of that. And it's one of those things that I think, I don't know, it's it's strange because. I think I would have a very different mindset if I were to go do something like the Appalachian Trail at this point, because I've done a lot of work trying not to be that type A kind of person who's always like, I am I could easily be the kind of person who'd be working constantly and be like, if I'm not hitting enough miles, then I'm not achieving what I want to be achieving here. But it's also, I don't know, it's, to me, it's if the point of being out there is to be in nature, and not worry about achieving some external thing, like a number of miles. It's at least even like in another example, like these sleep trackers, they track your sleep now and they grade you on your sleep. So it'd be really easy for you to think about, oh no, I'm doing something that's going to impact my like score tomorrow morning. And you create anxiety around those things, which, if you're that type of person, then I would recommend you probably not wear a device like this because it just isn't going to do more harm than good.
0: <laughs> that is really funny. Yeah. Um, I have an Apple watch that I use when I'm doing long distance runs, but there's so many times where I don't even allow myself to wear the Apple watch. Cause I don't want to get into that over tracking anxiety type of mindset where I'm like, Oh my God, I did this many miles yesterday. Why am I not walking like this? And then I'm like, is this a, walk or run today going to be about endurance and mileage or is it about me grounding myself mentally so i gotta decide if i'm doing those mental days i do not wear the watch because i do not want to know (laughs) i don't want to feel like oh I'm, i'm going slower than i usually do yeah you are because you're using it as like a mental Cleanse and refueling session. Come
1: on now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I totally get that because like sometimes I'll be I'll be really recovered and I'm like, oh, you can't waste today, so you got to go hard today. You know what I mean? Or other times I'll just I try to, and maybe this is just my background as a scientist because I, I work for for a test lab, so it's all about testing products and collecting data and then just reporting on data. And because of that background, I've always just tried to view my own life and own behaviors as like impartial as possible it's not obviously not possible because i am me and so measuring myself it's i can't remove me from (laughs) what i do completely but just trying to be able to at least be as impartial about what i see as possible and not saying whatever is measured doesn't dictate anything it's just what happens to be and just trying to separate as much as possible just so that you can just be in, in, as impartial to it as if you were a scientist measuring a product or something or someone who's like observing a gorilla if you're in in the woods with as a Jane Goodall or something and you just are watching chimpanzees right you like you just have to be as impartial as possible and yeah. it's a skill for sure it's not easy for most of us to do that yeah that's interesting it's funny
0: you mentioned Jane Goodall because I actually have a picture of her on on my bedroom door back home. I have a collage on my bedroom door of all these places I wanted to visit or things I wanted to do. And yeah, she's one of the people I used to like read about her adventures. Like I took some pictures of her up in
1: Nat Geo Magazine and collage on my, on my bedroom door. So what was it about Jane that captured your attention when you were little?
0: I really liked that she just really interacted with the chimpanzees and just really got to know them. Like it was basically, I guess it just being in the moment just not being go i like that she just settled down an area and took time to really create this like bonding experience and um do research and yeah i didn't really i didn't really um know too much about her until like i was in high school more so it wasn't really when i was little but yeah i just like the idea of doing that because i'm really into animal behavior and stuff like that and i eventually want to open like an animal rehab sanctuary that's always been on my list of things to do so yeah i, I, I just always thought it was so cool how she created that bond between the animals just from Living there for a while
1: over the last couple, let's say like last year or so, she's been on a couple podcasts. I can always send them to you just talking about her life and what happened. She's honestly a very fascinating person. This may be like an obvious thing, but it's really interesting for someone who spends so much time studying chimpanzees. She understands people almost just as well by like through proxy it's really yeah. fascinating she's a very insightful human and i really appreciate what she's done in, in, in general just not only from like a animal conservation thing but you actually might really enjoy this but she does a program called roots and shoots which is for like young kids to get involved with like problems that society is facing and it's all, like, for basically young kids who are, like, in elementary school-ish. And then they have some sort of, like, mentor who just guides them through it. But they it's the student-driven, like, solving problems for the world. Yeah, that's cool. It's really neat. Yeah. She does a lot of good stuff. So we're already just over an hour, which is crazy because I didn't even I remember looking at it. And it was not, not an hour. There's, like, a couple wrap-up questions here before we just... And this possibly round one, there's more, always more than enough to talk about in general. Do you have, are you a avid reader? If so, do you have any impactful books that either you've gifted or you've revisited?
0: Yeah. So I used to be a lot more of a reader than I am now. I really do reading. It's just right now I'm prioritizing all my businesses and projects that are coming up over the next year. I feel like I can't do both very easily. I do listen to quite a bit of audio books though, but they usually fall within the self-development sphere one author I really liked listening to is I don't know how to pronounce her first name. I think it's Adil Ahmed. She has a book called manifest now. And there's also one other one that's within the whole manifestation sphere. I usually find manifestation to be like very cheesy and not true, but the way she does it is like so powerful and I could actually feel the energy of it. And I think it's good for, Anyone who's really in go mode, it helps bring them out of that and help just trust the process and not be worried about the future. So I will put those on repeat. I've listened to them multiple times. I just put them on repeat if I'm doing something like chores or whatever, and I just need to tone myself down a little bit, I will listen to those. So I really like them. Other than that, when I actually am reading, I really enjoy young adult adventure thriller horror fantasy books like those are my favorites i've always enjoyed that and i've never really read adult books for the most part i usually stay within the young adult new adult sphere uh i just like it because it's a true escape into adventure and uh especially not being an adult book i feel like you don't have those adult restrictions you're still viewing it from the viewpoint of a teenager or, or like a new adult, if you're reading the new adult books. So yeah, I always really enjoy those, especially the thriller and horror ones. I've always been into things like that, like Goosebumps, Are You Afraid of the Dark? So I would watch those growing up. So I always enjoyed books along the same lines as well. Cool.
1: Yeah, that, that sounds really interesting. I, It's not often that you get people who recommend like teen books or- thrillers because I feel like nonfiction has taken over so much lately but I'm a big fan of uh, fiction I used to read a ton of it in just growing up before I even picked up any sort of nonfiction at all so that's really cool and I'm a big fan of thrillers myself I I love like murder mysteries and things like that
0: I really can't stand reading too many self-development books because one I feel like I already know the majority of it I've already done a lot of research on it so I don't want to keep putting it into my head too much. And two, life's already so structured and serious. I don't want all my reading to be structured and serious. I definitely want to have, like I said, that more escape. I don't even like calling it escape. It's more just, I want my mind to feel like it goes on an adventure as well sometimes and yeah, not be so serious all the time. So yeah, that's why I really value those
1: books. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I never thought about it that way, but you're totally right. It's like a, a way for, your, for you to leave yourself, mentally speaking, It's really cool. And so the last question here, but it's one I really like asking for anyone who's either just entering the real world, who's either young and driven or just anyone who's finding themselves that want to pivot. Do you have any advice for them?
0: Yeah. I actually think today's whole current circumstance is perfect for this advice, which would be if you're really interested in a topic or like a hobby, there is a way to make money out of it. So yeah, you might not want to make all of your hobbies money driven but if you're really passionate let's say about adventure like right now i am i have my youtube channel which is doing really well and i also am working on like adventure type books so like i have an adventure journal coming out and an adventure self-development book coming out i have all that so it's, there are ways to make money basically out of your interests but yeah you might need to go into a job for a bit that you might not want to be doing But yeah, find one that you still are interested in that you can get through for a few years, just to build up that source of income, but then slowly start transitioning, branching out on your passion projects and really going into the field that you truly want. Cause you really can nowadays make money at anything. You have free advertising everywhere through social media. Word of mouth is huge nowadays. People can spread it so easily. So yeah, just don't ever think that if someone says, Oh, you can't do that, or you can't make money at that, that's true because you can really make money at most things nowadays
1: that's such a great piece of advice i think especially that during this time i think it is you're right it is more noticeable now with just patreon models or just if you just care about something enough to make a good product whatever that product looks like be it a video be it a podcast you can find ways to make it a thing however much of a thing that you mean it to be like yeah. I think a lot of times we get, we get distracted and say it needs to make more than it should or just be like crazy millions of dollars crazy kind of thing like it doesn't have to like it really just doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> and,
0: and also just don't be afraid also when you do start using your passion projects as a source of income to have multiple I'm probably right now in four different categories of business technically between like real estate and crypto and publishing and coaching. I cover a lot of different fields, so don't be afraid to delve into multiple things. You don't always have to just do one t- one category at a time.
1: I- just heard you mention crypto and I don't know too. I know a little bit about it, but not a whole lot. So that'll definitely have to come up at a different time. Yeah. Cause I'm th- a
0: crypto nerd. I've been into it for six years. I've gone to a bunch of the, I guess you call them underground crypto parties wow. and stuff. I've seen a lot of, what crypto was and what it became, and I've, yeah, I've been there since not even the beginning, but it feels like the beginning when it was only like twenty
1: dollars or something. Yeah, <laughs> early enough that you can, you're on the ground floor to see it now. I don't know what it is at now. I think last time I checked, it was like thirty five thousand for a Bitcoin.
0: Oh, it's like
1: close to sixty thousand. Oh yeah, so it's it's almost doubled <laughs> since the last time I I paid attention. So that's a whole other conversation that I would love to have at a future time. That's yeah, definitely. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I've just really enjoyed this conversation and it's been really interesting just to talk about your travel experiences. And I'm sure there's many more things that we could have covered just from not like the Appalachian Trail and just what that means about life in general. So with that, where can people connect with you if they wanted to find you on the Internet?
0: My business IG is Kickbutt Life. I don't post there all the time, but I'm always reading direct messages, so I am there. My personal IG is underscore h o l underscore l a y underscore, so it's Hal Lay, and I I prefer to use that one. And what else? Uh, my YouTube channel with all my hiking blogs is Kickbutt Adventure. Uh, so far, I only have my Appalachian Trail through hike up there, but I am going to be posting my upcoming Oregon Coast Trail through hike. So yeah, once again, that's Butt Adventure on YouTube. So yeah, I think that pretty much covers most of it. Now we got Clubhouse where we connected. I just have, I'm going by my name, Holly Crutchco on Clubhouse. So yeah, if you're not in Clubhouse already, jump on that because it's an awesome platform.
1: Cool. Yeah. I'll have all those links in the show notes so people can go and find you easily enough through there. So that's about it for this awesome round one.
0: All right. Cool. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. I, I, It's funny. We, we covered so much, but there's still so much to talk about. I know. <laughs> yeah, I my mind, Whoa. There's so much stuff you can still go into.
1: <laughs> I wanted to take some time here and talk about how you, the listeners, can support Feeding curiosity, I've always believed in providing more content to whoever listens to this of value than what you'd ever pay for. I don't like the idea of having to sponsor myself with products I don't use or believe in. If it's something I use and believe in, then sure, I will talk about it and I will do everything I can to do that. And I've done that on this podcast before. Not sponsored, but I've talked about many products that I believe in but in the aims of choosing to create a new model that i believe in and that we should all be striving for is breaking ourselves away from the subsidized model that ads provides and so with that we have turned on the uh, anchor.fm support structure which allows you the listener to subscribe to our content at the level of your choosing that is either a 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99 a month Meaning that you, the listener, and me, the creator, can be transparent about how much value you see in our content. And by doing so, that allows me to have more resources to ever increase the quality of this content. And that's not to say I won't be doing this anyways, but it breaks me out of the loop of having to worry about those things. Because there is a lot of time that goes into this podcast, but I love it and I hope that By you choosing to support the podcast, you know how much I care about the quality of this content. And so with that, everyone, thank you all for listening, and I hope you enjoy.